My name is Brian Pate, and um, I serve in mission and, and as a missionary in Brazil. My wife Krista grew up there, and uh, so it's been a joy to be able to return to her home. And our focus is training pastors, and uh, we do that by our pastoral internship and through training sites throughout Brazil. We actually have a training site going on right now. During the message, I'm getting pictures from the site there as they teach in Lucas do Rio Verde, and we're looking forward to getting back soon. We are on the end of our stateside assignment, and we're looking forward to getting back to Brazil, to our home. And I just want to say thank you for partnering with us. It's an honor to have our name next to this flag here in your church. It's an honor to be one of your missionaries. Thank you for being a church that cares about missions and that cares for your missionaries. It really is a joy. And uh, if you didn't get one of our prayer cards, we have a little table out there with the Brazil flag. Feel free to grab one or two of these. And, um, and as Tad said, thank you for praying for us. Thank you for staying in touch. Uh, we, we need your prayers. And, uh, and there's also a sign-up sheet out there. And if you would like to receive about our quarterly email updates, uh, feel free to sign up, and um, we would love to stay in touch with you that way. And I, I promise, I try to keep them. I don't just write a big blog post. I put pictures, and I try to keep it, try to keep it interesting. Today, I would like to, we're going to focus on preaching, since I've already shared a lot of our ministries. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah 66. As I've been in Brazil, I love learning about Brazil culture. <clears throat> I love learning about Brazil history. And one of the things that I, I remember re- reading a book by Pelé. Do you remember Pelé or Pelé? Probably the best soccer player in the world. Um, and he, he really popularized soccer here in the States. When he started I believe he was 17 years old when Pelé played his very first World Cup. And it was 1958. It was Sweden versus Brazil. And Brazil was in Sweden. So they're not in their own. They don't have any home pitch advantage. They're they're in another country. It's the final game. Whoever wins this game will win the entire 1958 World Cup. It's Brazil versus Sweden. Pelé is 17 years old, and Sweden scores first. And that can be really, uh, it can really shoot your confidence, especially for Brazil. I've seen them play enough, and when they get down, they kind of lose it. They, they really get nervous. And so they're down, one nothing, on enemy turf, Pelé 17. And one of the players, one of the players for Brazil, he starts running around and yelling at the, at, at the Brazilian team players. That's okay. That's okay. They've got their score. Now it's our turn. And after that, Pelé said, he wrote in this book, he said, we had in that moment this eerie confidence that we were going to win. Even though we were losing, even though we were on enemy turf, we had what he called an eerie confidence that we're going to win. And they played, knowing that they, or having faith that they were going to win, they played like winners. Right after this, Pelé scored. He was, the at that time, the youngest to ever score in a World Cup championship. So he scores. Now it's 1-1. One one, and after that, it, it just 
Brazil was in control of the game. They ended up winning the game 5-2 to two because Pelé said, we had an eerie confidence that we were going to win. And I think that we need that today, but we would maybe call it faith. Because I don't know about you, I think sometimes it feels like we are on enemy turf and we are losing. We're down one nothing. Doesn't it seem like doesn't it seem like Satan is winning today? Doesn't it seem like the church is weak and playing defense? We are exiles. We are on enemy turf. And it often seems like we're not winning the day. And I think we need much more than what Pelé had. We need more than just an eerie confidence that we're going to win. We need faith in the promises of God. Because we know how the story ends. We know how this all turns out. We know that King Jesus wins. We know we're on the winning team, right? And so we, in that confidence, we can live today. We can We can't have our eyes on the mission of God in confidence, not with an eerie confidence, but in confidence in the promises of God. And so that's why I want us to look at Isaiah 66, because I want to direct our our minds to how does this story end? How does the grand story of what God is doing in the world, how is this going to end? Because when we set our eyes on the end and we have confidence in that, that will encourage us to be involved in God's mission today, even though we're on enemy turf, even though we seem to be losing. So let's read Isaiah 66, the conclusion to Isaiah, really the conclusion to the story of the Bible. Isaiah 66, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Isaiah 66, 18. For I know their works their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations. I'll just give you a spoiler. He's talking about missionaries. I will send missionaries to the nations. Where? To Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they, these missionaries, shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. So here we have 
the conclusion to Isaiah, but yes, the conclusion to really what God is doing in the world. So, so let's just stop for just a second and talk about what is God doing in the world? What is God's mission? What's he up to? First of all, we should stop and think, realize God is up to something in the world. Would you agree with that? He is on a mission. So we need to figure out what is that mission. God is on a mission to reconcile himself, all his people to himself from all nations so that he can receive all glory. That's what God's up to. God wants to receive glory by, by reconciling or saving his people from all nations, from Brazil and Argentina and the Philippines, from all nations. He's gathering his people. He's saving his people. Why? So he can get all glory. That's what God's up to in the world. That's the mission of God. Receiving glory by reconciling his people to himself from all nations. So this is the end of that story. This is how it ends. And it's important for us to meditate on the end picture because it seems discouraging now, doesn't it? It can seem, when you turn on the news, it can seem like evil men are winning. It can seem like governments are suppressing Christianity. We only have to look at our own families to see. It seems like our families are broken. People are sick and dying. And when we look at how the church is doing, it can be discouraging, can't it? We can feel like we're losing. That's why I want us this morning to look at Isaiah 66 and say, yeah, but how does the story turn out? How is this going to end? Because when we have confidence in the end of the story, we will be motivated to be involved in God's mission today. Here's my point. Don't be discouraged. Don't think, ah, we're losing. We just need Jesus to come back and fix all this. Be encouraged to still be involved in mission. Here in this church, in your community, Whatever God is calling you to do next, be encouraged to be invested in God's mission. Why? Because you know, you know how the story ends. You know who wins. So let's talk about this. I believe we have three reasons here in this verse, three reasons why we can dedicate ourselves to God's mission. And we see these in this passage. First of all, we see God has a plan. I'm giving you my outline if you guys are note takers. First, we see God has a plan. And if you're note-takers, I want to just tell you ahead of time that my first point is really long, okay? So don't freak out. Don't worry that we're going to be here all day. My first point is really long. I'm just giving you a heads up. We have God's plan. He has a plan. And how do we know that his plan is going to work? We know that his plan is going to work because he promised it. That's the second point. God has a plan, and he has promises. And then third, At the end, we see God's judgment. This is to motivate us as well. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So here we have God's plan and his promises and his judgment. First of all, let's talk about his plan. Look at verse 18. What is God up to? For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. The word he uses there for gather means gather to worship. He's gathering his people. This is what God's up to in the world. God is gathering all nations and tongues. Why? 
and they shall come and see my glory. So first of all, right away we see God as a plan. He is a missionary God. He is taking the initiative. He is the one who sent his only begotten son into this world, right? Because he is a missionary God. We see that God has a heart for all nations. He will gather all nations and tongues. This is who our God is. A missionary God who cares about all peoples. And he cares about his own glory. He cares about all peoples giving him glory. We just sang this. And the earth will be filled with your glory. That's what God's after. That all, all people from all tribes and all people groups would worship him and give him glory. And did you know this will happen? This will, this was always the plan. Sometimes I wonder how the Jews missed this. How they thought it was just for them and not for the Gentiles, not for all the nations. Because, because listen to Isaiah 49. I will make you, he's talking to the servant, Jesus. He says, I will make you, Jesus, a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This has always been the plan. And sometimes I wonder how, how we miss it. How do we care about some peoples more than others? How do we forget that God has a heart for all the nations? Because we know this is the end of the story. Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from every tri- all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is going to happen. God will redeem His people from all nations So this is what we need to be on board with. This is his plan. This needs to be our heart, too. Like, are we passionate about God receiving glory from all people? Your family and your children know what you're passionate about. My son knows I'm passionate about the Atlanta Braves. He knows I'm passionate about reading history books and reading presidential biographies. Does he know that I'm passionate about God's glory? Does he know that I'm passionate about God's plan, God's plan to help all nations see his glory? Do your kids, do your grandkids know that this is what you're passionate about? Have you ever heard of the missionary John Payton? He went to the New Hebrides, I believe now it's called Vanuatu. Great missionary. Do you know how he got excited about missions? He heard his dad praying. John Payton heard his dad praying for the nations. And he could tell, my dad is passionate about God's glory among all peoples. I want to read to you what John Payton wrote about hearing his dad pray. This is just family devotions, right? Family worship, whatever you want to call it. Bible time as a family. They're having their family devotions And John's writing about hearing his dad pray. 
He wrote this, When on our knees, and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, my father poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. We all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. Can you imagine if in your family worship, you as a father, you as a grandfather, you're pouring out your whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen, your kids would know that you're passionate about God's glory. And God is passionate about his glory. This is his plan. He wants to reach all nations, and all nations will see his glory. I just, we've been talking about this a while. I want to read the verse again to make sure you know we're getting this from the Bible. Look at verse 18, the second half. And they, I'm sorry, I'll just read the whole verse. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. God's plan is that all nations would see his glory. How will he do this? How will he do this? Verse 19, and I will set a sign among them. How will he reach all nations? He will set a sign among them. What is the sign? I'm not sure that it's super clear here. There are a lot of signs in Isaiah, right? There's the sign of the virgin birth. There are other signs in Isaiah. The people who study Isaiah think that what he's talking about is the message that he talked about in Isaiah 53 of a suffering servant. He's talking about the sign of the cross. He's talking about the gospel. I will set a sign among them. I will lift up my servant high among them. This is what he promised in Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant, who's that? As Jesus, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And Jesus knew that was about himself. Because in John 12, he says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So what is the sign that will draw people from all nations? It's the sign of the cross. It's Jesus hung to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. So that everyone can look and see there. What do we see there at the cross? We see that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Be encouraged. But we also see something else when we see the cross. We see that you were so bad that he had to send his son to die for you. Right? So we can be sobered and encouraged at the same time when we see the cross. This sign that he will lift up and draw all people to himself. And If you are here today and you haven't looked to the cross yet, I want to encourage you to look and live today. Look and live. Yes, the cross does mean that actually you are so bad that you needed a Savior. And we see this in this passage. We haven't read these verses, but look with me at verse 15. Let's talk about how Jesus feels about your sin. Verse 15, for behold... The Lord will come in fire. This is Jesus. First Thessalonians interprets this as Jesus. Jesus will come in fire in his chariots like whirlwind to render his anger in fury 
and his rebuke with flames of fire. Yes, Jesus is gentle and lowly, but Jesus is also going to come and he is angry at your sin. Verse 16, for by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword will all flesh and those slain by the Lord be shall be many. God is not in a good mood about your sin. It's serious. And this is the end of the story, right? When Jesus will come, when Jesus will come and he says with with a sword and with fire and he will judge those who have rejected him. But do you know the story begins very similarly? Did you catch those two words? Let's look for look for these two words, these key words in verse 16. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Where at the beginning of the story do we see a flaming sword? The Garden of Eden. When they sin, and they are separated from the presence of God with an angel with a flaming sword. The story begins this way, it will end this way. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior... You have this flaming sword separating you. You you, you can't have a relationship with God. So what's the answer? The answer is that we have a missionary God who sent his own son to take the punishment that you deserve on himself. He takes the flaming sword on himself. What a savior. So that, so that the gospel is here in Isaiah 66. You know, the whole Bible is about Jesus, right? Look at verse 2. You're in Isaiah 66, verse 2. What must you do to be saved? Look at verse 2. And I'm going to work towards the middle of the verse. I'll start at the beginning. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. But this is the one to whom I will look. Okay, good. This is what we need. We who have a flaming sword separating us from God because of our sin, how do we get God to look at us? This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. What must you do to be saved? Repent of your sins. Believe in the cross. Believe in the sign. Believe that Jesus came and died for your sins. Be humble and contrite and tremble at his word. Kiss the son lest he be angry at you. This is how you can be saved. I just want to say, if you're here today and you have not received Christ yet, you know, maybe everybody else doesn't know, but you know, I am dragging my feet. I'm on the outside looking in. Today would be a great day to believe in the sign. You have a God who loves you enough to send Jesus to die for your sins. Be humble. Stop trying to save yourself your own ways. Repent of your sins. Embrace Christ this morning. So this is what we have. Let's go back to uh, the end of Isaiah 66. We have God's plan To reach all nations, he will do this by a sign. But how will people hear? He's going to send missionaries. I don't know how many of you have heard this passage preached before, much less preached in relation to missions. But this might be the most clear and beautiful missionary verse in the whole Bible. And I don't think I've ever heard it preached on before. So let's read verse 19. I will set a sign among them and from them... From whom? The people that he's judging in verse 16. From them, 
I will send survivors to the nations. He's saying, I am going to judge those who have rejected me. But not all of them. There are going to be survivors. There's going to be a remnant. I'm going to save my people. And not just save my people. I'm going to save them and then I'm going to send them. If you're a Christian here today, you're not just saved. You're sent. This is what he does. I'm going to save you and send you to the nations. So here he has, he's sending these survivors, he's sending these missionaries to the nations. Isn't that great? That we were under the wrath of God and he comes and he saves us, but he doesn't just say, okay, you sit on the sideline while I save more people. No, he's like, get in here and help me go get more people. He saves us and he sends us. So, where do we go? Look at this, the rest of the verse. And from them I will send survivors or missionaries to the nations. Where? To Tarshish, Pull, and Lud, who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away. I think he might be talking about Brownsville. And have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. This, why does he list all these places? I think he's trying to communicate that there's no place too far. There's no people too far gone. There's no region too difficult. There's no country too closed. He will send us. The gospel will penetrate the darkest corners of this world. And we will go. And what do we do? What do we missionaries do when we go? This verse tells us. They shall declare my glory among the nations. I told you this is one of the clearest missionary verses, isn't it? They will declare my glory among the nations. That's what these survivors do. That's what these missionaries do. Everywhere we go, we say how great God is for saving our souls. This is what we do. So whether you are declaring his glory to the nations or whether you're declaring God's glory to your neighbors, mission. We're all on mission, declaring how great the Lord is. And, and he keeps going in verse 20, and he talks about how we're going to, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. We would say today, and we will go in airplanes and on and canoes. Am I cutting in and out? And, and we will use whatever transportation we can to get there, to get to God's people. And look at the beginning of verse 20. These missionaries, they, and they shall bring all your brothers from all nations. This is huge. You're a Jew, and you have these enemy nations, Babylon, coming in and attacking you. And here he's saying, I'm going to send out survivors and you're going to go get your brothers from other nations. I think it would have been weird for them to think of foreigners as their brothers. Do you know what I'm saying? They would have thought of fellow Jews as their brothers. But he's saying, you're going to go find brothers from other nations, from the Samaritans and the Assyrians and the Ninevites. You're going to go find brothers from the Russians and the Ukrainians and the Mexicans and the Brazilians, African-Americans and Hispanics. You're going to go find your brothers. How are we brothers? In Christ. 
we have, I quoted this verse uh, the other night, other sheep Jesus has, which are not of this fold, and them also he will bring. We have more brothers and sisters out there in this community and around the world. I want us to have a posture. I want us to have a heart that welcomes brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they look different from us, even if they think different from us. We have brothers and sisters out there. Let's go get them. Let's go grow God's family. Now, I want you to notice one other thing here in verse, I guess it's verse 20. I'll start reading it again. And they shall bring, these missionaries shall bring all your brothers from all the nations. Notice this. As an offering to the Lord. That's really interesting. And then he says it again at the end. He says, on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. He's saying, you're going to go, these missionaries are going to go, and they're going to win people to the Lord, and they're going to bring them as offerings to the Lord, just like the, the Jews sacrifice offerings. And then the next verse, he says, verse 21, and some of them also I will take for priests, And for Levites, says the Lord. This is fascinating. Do you think of yourself as a priest? I I, I don't think of myself as a priest. Do you think of yourself as a priest who's bringing an offering to the Lord? Why is he saying this? Well, first of all, we know Exodus 19.6. Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests, right? A holy priesthood. The whole nation was to be a nation of priests. What does a priest do? A priest is someone who reconciles you to God. You've got man here, sinful man. You've got a holy God here. And a priest is one who stands in the middle. A priest is one who reconciles. A priest is one who mediates. Right? And the nation of Israel is supposed to do this. They were supposed to reflect God to the nations. This is what God looks like. Of course, they did a terrible job of that. But that was their job. To reflect the holiness of God to the nations. And... To draw the nations to God, just like the Queen of Sheba came to say, look at how great our God is. Of course, they did a terrible job of that, too. But now, even Peter tells us, you are a kingdom of priests. The church. The church now is priests. Why? What what do we do as priests? We say, be ye reconciled to God. We continue to reflect what God looks like to the nations, and we continue to call the nations to be in a right relationship with God, like priests. Be reconciled to God. And a priest brings an offering. What's our offering? This passage is really clear, isn't it? What is our offering to bring before the Lord? It's people. It's brothers that we found. We went to the nations. We went to our neighbors. We went into our workplace and we shared the gospel and someone got saved. Someone came from from death to life, dry bones, lived again. And we take these people and we bring them to the Lord as offerings. Did you catch that? That's what he's saying here. We are priests bringing people to the Lord as an offering. Maybe this seems weird to you. Like, man, that's weird to think of ourselves as priests. Um, I want to let you know that Paul also thought of himself as a priest. And I think he was thinking of this verse. You don't have to turn there. 
But if you're taking notes, write down Romans 15, 16. Because Paul is thinking of this verse in Isaiah 66. He knew this was a missionary verse. He said, I am a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. I told you we were priests. Paul was in the priestly service of the gospel. So that the offering of the Gentiles might be sanctified, excuse me, acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul saw himself as a priest, bringing the offering of the Gentiles to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, I just want to let you know, there are more people in this community that are your brothers and sisters waiting to be reached. Who's going to go bring these offerings to the Lord? Who's going to, there are more offerings out there to present to the Lord. This is our role as priests. So here's my first point. Why should we be dedicated to God's mission? Because he has a plan. His plan is to reach all nations with his glory by setting up the sign of the cross and sending you missionaries, survivors. But how do we know this plan is going to, like how do we know this plan is going to happen? Sometimes I say stuff to my son, and I totally forget that I said it. And he like quotes word for word, Dad, you promised. How do we know what God says is going to happen? Because he promised. So I want you to look. We're going to look at verse 22 in just a minute. But first I want us to think about something as we read these verses. I want you to think about some of the biggest promises in the whole Bible. And we call them covenants. And he made some big promises to Abraham. So if you want to sound fancy, we call it the Abrahamic Covenant. And he promised three things to Abraham. Do you remember what they were? He, who said this? You said it faster than I, could even, than I could even say it. That's right. Land seed blessing. He promised that there would be God's people, seed, and God's place, land, enjoying God's blessing and presence. That's God's promises. God's people in God's place enjoying God's presence. That's what he promised. And he hasn't forgotten his promises. With that in mind, I want us to read verse 22. I want you to look for these three elements. People, place, and presence. Verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Did you catch him? Verse 22. For as the new heaven. We're not talking about the old land. We're talking about the new heavens and the new earth. That's what that all pointed towards. He will keep his promises. We're going to have his place forever. And who's going to live there? Your offspring. God's people. You're going to have God's people in God's place. And what are we going to be doing forever? From new moon to new moon, Sabbath to Sabbath, we will worship. And we know, Colossians 2 tells us, this new moon and the Sabbath, it all points to Christ. We will be God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence forever. I'm telling you, in these verses, he's just saying, I haven't forgotten the Abrahamic promises. I haven't forgotten my promises to Abraham. Yes, I have a plan to reach all people, and I promise, and I will do it. We have more than Pelé said with his eerie confidence that they were going to win the, win the game. We have the promises of God, and they will come to pass. 
Now, real quickly, we have a third reason. We have God's promises, I'm sorry, God's plan and God's promises. But he ends really negatively here. In fact, when, when Jewish rabbis read Isaiah, they go to the end, but because the last verse is so negative, they f- go back and read 22 and 23 again so they can end on a positive note. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we can trust that the Holy Spirit had Isaiah write this exactly like it's meant to be. So let's end on a negative note. Let's read verse 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. 22 and 23, you have this picture of the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem, and God's people living in heaven forever. But it's like you can look out and see a cemetery out there where all the people are who did not believe in Christ. That's why the third point is judgment. This should also motivate us to be involved in God's mission. Middle of the verse. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Another reason why we shouldn't be ashamed of this verse is because Jesus wasn't embarrassed of this verse. Do you remember when he quoted this verse? Mark 9. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And then he quotes this verse, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Brothers and sisters, hell is real and hell is forever. This too, yes, God's plan and yes, God's promise, but also his judgment. This should motivate us to be involved in God's mission. Everyone will spend eternity in one of two places. And hell is real and hell is forever. This should not make us gloat. This should make us grieve. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He desires that all should come to repentance. And we should too. This is why we should go tell them. We should go tell everybody everywhere. We should tell them the signs. The good news of the cross, that if you're humble and contrite, God will look at you. He already provided salvation. We should tell this good message because hell is real and hell is forever. This, this too should cause us to dedicate ourselves to God's mission. So what's God up to in the world? What's, what's God up to? God is, has a plan to redeem his people from all nations. And he has a plan to send people to go do it. Who's that? That's you. That's me. And he promised it will happen. And he's also promised judgment for those who don't repent. So because of all of this, don't be discouraged, brothers and sisters. Yes, turning on the news can be discouraging. Yes, our homes can be challenging at times. But Jesus is winning. This, this plan will happen. We can be committed and dedicated to being part of God's mission because he will win his people. He will receive glory. He will fill the earth with his glory as the waters cover the sea. So I just have a question for you. What if, what if you lived your life, what if every soccer game you had an eerie confidence that you were going to win? You just knew it. Or what if in everything you do, you knew, I can't fail. What if you knew, everything I try will succeed? What would you try? What would you attempt? What would we attempt for God if we truly expected great things from God? We know the end of the story. 
We know King Jesus wins. We know we will be gathered from every tribe and every nation around the throne singing praises to the Lamb. So let's have confidence, brothers and sisters, right here in the ministries of this church, as we share the gospel, as we train leaders, as we train pastors, and as we send more missionaries. Let's be confident, because we know know the end of the story. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this passage, this conclusion to your great redemptive plan. Lord, you have been so kind to not just save us, but to send us. You have been so kind to give us a sneak peek at the end of the story and to see your ultimate victory, your ultimate triumph. So, Lord, I just pray that you would use this confidence to encourage us this week as we share the gospel with our neighbors As we attempt great things for you, I pray that you would help us to be full of faith, full of faith in what you are going to do through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.